Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, as we, uh, or I've been thinking about this message, uh, I've been thinking back over the course of my life and times that I've felt rejected. And so, uh, and many of us, I think at every, every person in this room at some level has felt that, that moment of disappointment and feeling like that, that rejection. And so for some of you, uh, maybe it's a college ab- application that got denied, rejected. Did anybody apply somewhere and not get a, their choice? Okay, yeah, handful of you. This is always, when you do rejection, it's all, the hands are always like here, not a whole lot of full extensions. I get it. Uh, what about maybe rejected for a job or promotion? Anybody had that moment? All right, handful. Uh, ooh, ready for this? Uh, how about a date? Four of you. The rest of you are liars. Uh, uh, guys walking with a lot of confidence. Like, I don't get turned down. Um, whatever. Well, it's one thing. The reason I bring this up, it's one thing when, a, when the word is a verb, as in rejected, Okay? It's, or to reject, it's a whole nother level when that word becomes a noun and it becomes connected to some of our identity, that of being a reject, being dismissed, denied, declined, discarded, abandoned, deserted, forsaken, or just totally dismissed. I think and we're not going to do a show of hands, many of us connect to that way more than just being rejected on an application or a date. And the reason that those hurt so much is because at a core level, heart level, that's a word that we've adopted and for many of us put over our our lives. It's the reason that we walk through so much toxic shame is because at the core, many of us, we believe that we're rejects. Now, the way this plays out is different ways. Some of us, we become victims, and so everything is just negative. Everything's out to get us, and that's one, one, one way that plays out. But for many of us, especially here at the Rim, the way this plays out is you have to push to be a little bit more than human. Like the moment someone says, I don't ever feel that way, like I'm strong, I'm tough, usually it's to mask all those feelings of rejection. Why, why many of us, like most, we joke off to the staff, most Enneagram threes, this achiever, why do you work so hard? Why do you prove so much? Why? Because if I don't accomplish X, Y, or Z, I'm not lovable. I'm rejected. I'm dismissed. And that hurts too much. And so I'll do whatever it takes. Be whoever you need me to be so that you don't dismiss me. And so... The question as we dive into this text this morning, or really maybe maybe the question, maybe the answer that I want you to see, this is the target, this is what I believe that God wants to speak to all of us this morning. So if you hear anything, you can tune out the rest, just write this down and you'll be able to pretty much recap this sermon. And here it is. Jesus came 
not only for the religious. We talked about that last weekend, that Jesus came for even the religious. But Jesus came not only for the religious, but intentionally pursues, even goes out of his way for the rejected, the skeptical, and the forgotten. Jesus created space through his humanity for us to discover the beauty of his divinity. And our vulnerability ultimately opens up that space not only for ourselves, but for those around us. I'll read it one more time because I really want you to get this. I put it up on the screen. That Jesus came not only for the religious, but intentionally pursues the rejected, the skeptical, and the forgotten. And Jesus created space through his humanity for us to discover the beauty of his divinity. Our vulnerability opens up that space not only for ourselves, but for others. Okay? So this story that we just read, if you've been in church for a little bit, maybe you've heard it before. But there's this, Jesus' popularity is, is growing. And so he kind of sidesteps the Pharisees and his, he's leaving one area to head to Galilee. So he's leaving Judea to go to Galilee, where he's ultimately going to like post up shop, and this is where he's going to be kind of his headquarters, where he's going to do a majority of his ministry. And the scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you look at the map, that is fairly true. The shortest way from Judea to Galilee, Samaria is right there in the middle. But any rabbi and most Jews would take the long way around Samaria intentionally avoid Samaria. Why? Because Jews hated Samaritans. Absolutely hated them. They were half-breeds. There was, I mean, a lot of other cultural, a lot of like backstory and history. Um, But I mean, gosh, even the Pharisees, the Pharisees would, part of their prayer would be, God, thank you so much that you didn't make me a Samaritan and that you didn't make me a woman. That those were parts of rabbinical prayers. That, like, that these despise, these rejects, they wanted to have nothing to do with it. And I, with them, and I love that Jesus says that he had to. The disciples probably would have been like, no, Jesus, we don't have to. There's a path around. He's like, no, no, we have to. There's someone I've got to meet. There's, there's a story that we're about to tell. And so Jesus goes to Samaria and he finds himself uh, in the middle of the day at a well. And the disciples leave. They're going to go grab some lunch in Samaria and are in this local town. And there's this woman uh, who shows up in the middle of the day by herself. And Jesus has a conversation with her. And in a day and age when most Jewish men didn't even, they didn't talk to Samaritans for sure, but you definitely didn't talk to women, that Jesus begins to ascribe value and loves her and essentially pours onto her worth. And I think he begins to lead the way uh, for how we should and love women. So super cool, but that's a side note. But Jesus begins to create this space for this woman and in this story, what I want you to see, is I'm just going to hit a few things, this is kind of the outline, is I want to show you a few ways that Jesus creates space for this woman. Now, this story is filled, 
honestly, I don't know if, I, if we want to try to cover a majority of it. I don't think I could do it in like two hours. And you wouldn't want me to do that. So what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to fly this 30,000 feet. There's going to be a lot of things you're going to see that you're going to be like, I have a question about that. I'm not going to answer it today, okay? Uh, so, so sorry. Um, we can maybe have a conversation later. But I'm going to fly at 30,000 feet. And what I want you to see today is this. I want you to see how Jesus did and continues to make space for those that are forgotten and forsaken and rejected to experience and discover his beauty. And then we're going to end our time together. I'm going to give you some insanely practical, practical tips and tools for how you and I, as followers of Jesus, that we can create space for those around us that often feel neglected and rejected to, to discover the beauty of Jesus. Cool? That's our mission. That's our assignment. Let's go. So, uh, First thing I want you to see, and I love this. These are little, little things that grabbed me this week. First, Jesus precedes the woman at the well. Like, I love, he gets there before her. Like, Jesus precedes us. Uh, look at verse 3. Uh, it says, so he, talking about Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had, he had to go, he had to, as we talked about that, through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So Jesus is there before the woman at the well. Now this, I'm going to add, this is just my thoughts. This is my heartbeat. I, I love that. I was so encouraged because this woman that we're going to find out later, in all of her shame, dodging all the crowds, trying to like create space so she could be alone, goes to this well, and Jesus is already there. And so for many of us, maybe we need to hear and be encouraged today that wherever we are in life and whatever we're looking forward to or whatever we're nervous about on the flip side, Jesus is already there. He doesn't just know about it he's already there like this is that God would be so outside of time and space that what's so intriguing to me that God not only knows what's going to happen tomorrow he's already in tomorrow he's already there that Jesus's presence precedes us that he's already there creating space doing a work that maybe we have no idea that he's doing the second thing here that I want you to see in this story is that Jesus is incredibly present. Like, I love this. Jesus is incredibly present. Look at verse 6. It says, when Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, he's tired as he was from the journey and sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. I, I love that we see here, even at the very beginning, that Jesus leads out with his vulnerability and humanity. That we see that Jesus was tired. It's been a long journey. It's hot outside. He's thirsty. He's hungry. And Jesus leads out like that vulnerability is put on display. He's not hiding. He's not like trying to mask that. He's not trying to be bigger. Like he's like, yeah, and even his weakness, he brings that. And I think that's a part of being present. 
Second, I love this, that listen, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm thirsty, it's really hard for me to be focused and be present with you. And even in the midst of Jesus' weakness, he's fully present to this woman at the well. And now some of us, we can be like, ah, well, Drew, it's because he didn't have an iPhone. And if Jesus had an iPhone, maybe it'd be a different story. No, I think this is wildly intentional, that Jesus in this story that he leads out with his attention, and he also is present with his vulnerability. I, I think for many of us, it's difficult, one, to be fully present with people, because yes, we have so many distractions. And then two, um, and that could be like the hunger, the tired, the fatigue, all those things. But then two, I think many of us aren't present with others because of our lack of honesty and vulnerability. And I said, I'm, I'm by no stretch of the imagination up here as an expert in that. Just what God is showing me is I think many of us, it's really hard to be fully present because while we're having conversation as we're hanging out, most of the time I'm image managing and so I'm thinking so much about myself and how this comes across and how did that sound? Am I smiling? Am I nodding my head appropriately? That all of my attention is on me. And so I'm not fully present to you. And I love that Jesus is so present to her. And I think maybe someone today, wherever you find yourself in your story, that you need to know that Jesus is really present to you. Like you have all of his attention. And it is his joy to sit with you and just listen and to talk back. We joke often that I think many of us, if you've been in church at some degree, you, you know that Jesus loves you. Like there's like all these songs about that. To the point you kind of get to, like, you're like, well, pff, big deal. Like you're not even impressed by that. Like you're kind of underwhelmed by it. You're like pff, big deal, Jesus loves me. Like he has to, right? If God is love, like he has to love me. So if he doesn't love me, then, then he's not love. Like, so it's a big deal. That doesn't make me special. But what if maybe someone this morning, you just need to hear this truth, that God not only loves you, like he likes you. Like he's wild about you. He's proud of you. Like that changes and shifts, I think, so many of us who have this image of God that he's just constantly frustrated and wagging his fist and just wanting us to get it figured out. But Jesus here is so present. And I love in this presence of offering his attention and affirmation and affection to this woman, he also presses into her pain. Like I love that. He pushes into the surface. Look at verse 15. It says, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So Jesus had just at this point been like asked for the water. She kind of deflects it with kind of making some kind of sarcastic remark like, oh, you know, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're not even like allowed to drink from my cup. I can't believe it. You would talk to me. And I'm a woman. Did you see that, Jesus? Like, so he kind of makes all of these like, these kind of offhanded like, you know, deflective comments. And then Jesus looks at her and says, hey, listen, if you know who you are talking to, you, you would ask me for water. And I would, I would give you living water. And so she has this moment where she even begins to deflect that. 
and she kind of teases him. And she's like, really? You don't even have a bucket. Uh, and this well's super deep. And then she's like, you must think you're really important. Uh, like you're putting yourself up there with this Jacob, this guy that we've been following for a while. Like, so Jesus, yeah, she kind of teases him back. And so then all of a sudden he like presses in and she's like, okay, yeah, if this is true, give me this water. Like I, I, if you've got living water and it's going to make me not thirst again, like give that to me because I don't want to come back here to draw water. Like, so if you're telling me I don't have to come back to this space, which once again, a lot of people speculating that the reason she's coming at noon is to avoid the social crowds, that she wants to be alone, that she knows that this is, this is taxing. She's putting herself out every time she goes to the well. And so if she could not have to do that, not have to return and remind herself of the shame of all of her past mistakes, yes, give that to me. Then I could really go into hiding. So give me this water so I don't have to come back here. And Jesus says, we'll go and call your husband and then come back. Which would, this would have been very normal. Go call your husband. If we're going to go deep, let's bring him into this. And then her response in verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. So Jesus presses into her pain point. Now, we don't know this story, and I think a lot of times we maybe over-speculate. We don't know how much of this is from adultery and fidelity, or maybe she's lost husbands from death, or maybe she couldn't have kids, and so they rejected her. Like, we don't know. But regardless, well, I think what Jesus is trying to kind of pinpoint is the thing that you keep coming back to the thing that you keep running to, thinking somehow, some way, it's going to fix what's broken in you, to satisfy that longing, that thirst that you have, is, has been man after man after man. And five times this has gone south. And the sixth guy, you're not even, you're not even married to him. So maybe you're kind of giving up on hope. Like, so there's this, this, this piece where... Jesus is going right after, like, what's hurting her, right after what she's longing for. It's almost like he's saying, hey, this whole conversation's not about water. It's about something much deeper. And the husbands, that's what you've gone to, just like the water, thinking it was going to rid your thirst, and it's not working. In some ways, it's so weird, these parallels between these wells and husbands. And I even think that Jesus, in many ways, he's kind of pulling back into or kind of calling from Jeremiah 2, which says this. This is so crazy. He says, my people have committed two sins. This is the prophet speaking to Israel. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and instead have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. So like, 
cisterns, like I have, this is actually a cistern. This is about the, close, the best Google image I could find, so please forgive me. Uh, but yeah, kind of think about this. Essentially, it's a, main, a man-made and man-controlled type well. And so the, the, what, what, what the scripture here is saying is that, that my people, they've committed these two great sins. They've, they've forsaken me. They've walked away from me, the living water. And instead, they're trying to like fill these broken cisterns with, with water to somehow satisfy themselves. But they're leaking everywhere. And so they, they finish with that broken cistern and they go to another broken cistern and they go to another cistern. And so this woman here is now on her sixth broken cistern, begging and hoping that this one here will hold water. This one here will satisfy me. This one here maybe give me the answers. And complete me. And Jesus is going right after it. That's how much he loves her. I think we, we can have this tendency to go, ah, oh, Jesus, are you being mean? No. He loves her so much that he's like, this is what you're running to and it's not, it's not going to fix you. And so her response in verse 19, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. And our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. So it's like you're like, oh, that was a cool little magic trick. You know all this stuff about me. I guess you're a prophet. Well, since I have your attention, let me ask you this question that's really been pressing on me. Like it's almost like she's like gets really uncomfortable and then just changes the subject. Many of us, we do that. Oh, I feel this is ugh, get a little deep. Let's say a joke and moonwalk out of this. Um, and so she's... Like, I could see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place over here where, is where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so maybe, maybe she's being defensive. Maybe this is deflection. I think that she maybe subconsciously is getting to her real need. Almost like you're right. The relationships and the dating aren't my issue. My issue is, is way deeper. I feel like God has abandoned me. And I don't even know where I would start to find him. And my whole life, I've been told by your people and mine that God has, wants nothing to do with me. And I feel like I've tried everything. I feel like I've gone to every place. I've jumped through all the religious hoops. And so maybe, if you really are, really are a prophet, let's get down to the real heart issue. Where is this God? Does he really care? Where is he? And so Jesus' response in verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming 
and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I love, I love, I love Eugene Peterson, the way he words it. He says it this way. He says, just, just listen. Use your imagination. Jesus would say these words, believe me, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark, and we Jews worship in the clear light of day and still miss it. But God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, and the time is coming, and it has, in fact, come when what you're called, what people label you, will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer, being itself spirit, so those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. I love that. That ultimately, like he meets this woman right where he's at and he goes, oh, 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 there's coming a day. Actually, it's right here and you just haven't even noticed that it's not going to matter where you worship. That the spirit of God is going to be in you and with you. And that all of a sudden, all that matters is that you're walking with him and that you're pursuing him in truth. And that's, that's worship. That you're not going to have to like be, feel distant until you go to this temple or that temple. No, he's right here. He's fully present with you. Like, what? And you, and you can imagine that this, this woman's like, ooh, 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 like that's too good to be true. I, I don't want to get my hopes up. I'm not leaning into that. And so if you look, you see that in her response where she says, this is the woman said, I know, I know that the Messiah, I called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, like, he'll he'll explain everything to us. Like, yeah, yeah, like, I I hope that what you're saying is true, but listen, I've been let down too many times to, to try to hope again. Like, the hope meter's broken for me. And so maybe one day, when the Messiah, when, when, when the Savior, when he shows up, he'll make it clear to us. And until that day, like, I'm just coming to, to get my water at noon. And I'm just trying to, to fix like, this need and this hurt this way. And Jesus says, I, the one that you're speaking to, like I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm here. I see you. I know you. I know everything. And I'm still wild about you. I still love you. I still like you. I'm here. I'm right here. The one that you were too scared to hope in. I'm right here. If you've been around the rim for very long, we were walking through the book of Genesis and looking at 
just all these really cool artistic pieces in the scripture. And we looked at the number six, even a couple weeks ago, and what the, what the number six means. Does anybody remember if you were here? Yeah, it's imperfect, incomplete. It's interesting that, that this woman, and John's, he knows what he's doing, that she's been married five times, living with the sixth man, and it's not until the seventh man shows up on the scene that everything changes. That Jesus, the complete version of what her heart has been looking for since day one. He is the one. He's right here. Jesus creates this amazing space for her to discover all of his beauty and she just drops everything and runs into the city and just starts telling everyone about this man who saw her saw all of her, even the parts that she's been trying to hide. Like he knew everything, saw all the blemishes, and still loved her. Oh, what kind of love she must have felt. Like, to forget the pride, to forget the mask, to run into the city and go, you guys, I think I met the Messiah. I think I met the one I've been longing for, he knows everything about me and still loves me. You've got to meet him. And the scripture says that the whole town just starts making their way towards Jesus and a majority of them believe that the gospel is revealed in a massive way, one of maybe the largest scales in a city full of rejects and forgotten and forsaken. I love that. But what's cool is when the forgotten experience and discover the beauty of Jesus, I believe that we then create space for others like us, and maybe those not like us, to also experience Jesus. And we see that in this text. So I'm going to run through these really, really fast in just a few moments. And uh, this is where we get really practical. As a church, we believe that the whole purpose of why we exist as the Rim Church is to create space for people to discover the beauty of Jesus. Like everything we do is for that. Like the reason we put carpets and lights and set up all pipe and drape is we want to create a space in this room for people who maybe are skeptical or curious or wondering or maybe been even following Jesus for a while but haven't really experienced how beautiful he truly is. That's what we want. And so we do it here. That's why we do community groups and so we can create a little space around a dinner table so that we can experience and discover the beauty of who Jesus is. It's why we do discipleship. It's why we do mission. It's the heartbeat of everything that we do. And so as followers of Jesus, if we really have experienced the beauty of who Jesus is, then it seems in the scripture the natural response is to go and want to create space for others. And so I want to show us a very, very practical um, and then number one, so how do we do this in our personal lives? One, uh, we have to learn to be present. We have to learn to be present. Jesus modeled that for us. 
like fully present with this woman. So she just takes what she was given and then she runs and does the same. Now I'm going to use my imagination just a little bit. I'm kind of eisegeting putting this into the text, but I think you could make a strong case here. Um, I love that in verse 28 uh, of the scripture, it says this. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see this woman. So she immediately has this moment with Jesus, and she leaves her water pots, her jars, the thing that she was going to the well to actually fill these. That's the whole purpose. She leaves them and runs into the city. So there's a couple of things that, that could be true. I think maybe the priority. She's like, I don't, I'm not worried about the water. I have got new water. And so not worried about it. This, like, I've got to tell these people. So yes, there's some priority. She's not going to use anything uh, or let anything slow her down. But two, this is just really, really practical for me. And once again, I, I love that she doesn't try to keep doing her job or her task and then also try to love people and tell people. I love that there's no multitasking here. Just full attention, full focus. And I think this is a really healthy thing to ask in our relationships, in our marriages, in our communities, with our coworkers. Are we present or are we distracted? And being present is the first step of creating space for others to discover the beauty of Jesus. Second is be curious. I love that this whole conversation starts with Jesus asking a question. Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink, woman? And uh, that leads to this whole conversation. Now, what's interesting is that's the only question Jesus asks. And then the rest of the conversation, even when it gets into the city, everyone else is just asking questions. It's like Jesus leads with curiosity and then everyone else's minds can't stop asking questions. And so I think for you and I, the way this plays out is we create practically space for others is, are we asking good questions? Are we curious about other people? Because I think when we, the moment we're not curious about what, what, for other people, then all we are is we're just, we're salesmen. Like to look at you and go, I really don't care about you. I just, I don't know, Drew made me feel bad. And so I've got to tell you this story. And I don't know, would you pray this prayer and sign this card? And so maybe I get bonus points when I get to heaven one day. Like we, we, we sell Jesus like he's a vacuum cleaner. Instead of like, oh man, I've experienced the man who knew everything about me and still loves me. Tell me about you. What are you running to? What wells are you trying to find, like to fulfill your thirst? I'm patient. I, I want to know. Why? Because I actually love you and I care. Like, what caused you to do that? What, what, what stirs in your heart? Like, what, what's leading you in that direction? I want to know. I want to walk with you. Like, that's really, really powerful. And I think oftentimes, if we're just really honest, Christians have a really bad rep of being cu not curious. Because we're like, oh, we've got the answer. We don't need to be curious. So just beat them over the head with the answer. And if they don't like it, then that's their fault. You know? But that, man, Jesus filled with grace and truth. Like, speaking the truth in love. I think many of us just love to speak truth. Like, and we don't, there's not a whole lot of love in it. I think their curiosity, I don't, anyway, I, I, can go, I can go far on that one. So ask good questions. Jesus makes people curious. And so I would even say maybe this, if we don't have curiosity in us, we might not be walking closely with Jesus. So side note, oh, we got to move. We got to go quick. Third thing 
Uh, be discerning. As we're creating space for those who don't yet, maybe aren't yet following Jesus, or those who are maybe distant from him or feel rejected, be very discerning. In verse 39, it says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Here's what I've learned. This has been like, especially when we think about our friends, our neighbors who, who maybe don't, don't yet know Jesus and creating space. This was like huge weight off of my shoulders. I'm just going to give you this gift and we can unpack it in the future. But I really thought for a long time that it was all on me to like convince my friends to see Jesus and love him. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, like, that's on me. And if they say no, then, oh, then God's disappointed. And I, I got to work on my sales pitch. So we go to classes and we, and we try to get every answer so that we know all the answers. And so that way we can, so what we do is we oftentimes we like, it's like, it's like spiritual chess that we play with our friends. And then we're like, and if I like him, checkmate you. And you're like, no, give your life to Jesus. And it's really like, we, we joke. And it's like, ooh, that's a little awkward because it's too close to home. But what I, I didn't realize um, until a few years ago, watch this, that it's actually the Spirit of God that opens the eyes of the heart, not you and not me. I, it's actually Jesus that saves people, not me. I, I know, like you're like, it, you kind of chuckle a little bit because you're like, that's I, I, true, that's not how I've been living, and that's not what it, I was taught. Like, it was on me. So Jesus even tells this amazing story in Luke 10 where he sends out the 72. He's like, hey, go into all the homes, and you, you prepare the way. You tell people that, that, I'm, that I'm actually already there. I'm, I preceded you, and then I'm coming with you, and then I'll come again later. So you just go ahead, and you're preparing the way. And they show up, and they knock on the doors, and Jesus tells them, he says this, hey, when you knock on the doors, those that welcome you, those that are like pumped to have you, those that feed you and sit you down and go, tell me your story. Tell me why you're here. Tell me what you believe. Like, those that are curious and welcome you like those hang out with them those that slam the door in your face and go no thank you go ah well that breaks my heart go to the next door like here's what's wild as we love our our friends as we love our neighbors we we knock like we ask questions we're curious we're present and if our friends go hey i'm not interested then i'm able to go the spirit's not moving here I can still love you. I, I don't have to convince you. I'm here. And maybe one day I'll knock and something will be different. But here I'll just love you. And then all of a sudden, sometimes you knock and people go, dude, tell me all about this. Wait, how do you understand? What's this to Jesus thing? Like, and you're like, whoa, it's, it's almost like Jesus does the work for you. Bible. Uh, so be discerning. What's God doing? So... Uh, last thing, you point them to Jesus. Um, it's exactly what the woman at the well did. Verse 41, and because of his word, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now, we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You created space for us to step into this space and discover the beauty of Jesus for ourselves. And we're in. 
He really is the treasure that he promises to be. He really is this living water that satisfies. I love that Jesus, in verse 14, where he says, hey, I'm this, that if I give you this living water, one, it's going to satisfy everything. But not only that, you're going to become this like spring, this overflow of all of this living water that's going to go into like to other people. Like other people are going to get to experience this, and it's exactly what this woman did. She becomes like an oasis in the desert. Not only does she have all the living water, she's fulfilled, she's satisfied, but all of a sudden it's overflowing, and every person in her sphere gets influenced by the presence and the beauty of Jesus. Because not only did Jesus create space for a reject like her, he so impacted her life that she ran and created space for others. This is who we are as a church. This is what it means to follow after Jesus, a group of ragtag rejects that have experienced the living water and just want to create space for other people to experience it as well. Church as usual, we want to give you 120 seconds for you to just get to sit with Jesus and ask him two questions. Jesus, what are you saying to me? And then how do I get to live moving forward? And today I'd say this, if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus in this room, welcome, you are safe. But I want you to know if you hear anything today, maybe you hear this. Jesus is absolutely in love with you. And Jesus really is the treasure that he promises to be. And he's absolutely worth it. And if you're in this room and you do know and you do love Jesus, and he really is the treasure of your heart, then you get to, you get to partner with him. You get to come alongside of him and to carry this living water that's busting out of you to those around you that are thirsty and that are searching and that are dying. But know this, you cannot give what you do not have. So, you, take this time, this space, and wrestle. Listen. What's God saying to you and what's he inviting you into? This is your time. resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, 
reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.